created live on Fireside. Hello and welcome to Go Team Sidelines. Excited to come at you live here on Fireside. We're excited tonight, as always, to talk about the Olympics, which are in full swing. Some crazy gymnastics going on live tonight along with us. Well, I guess it's not live. It's the replay tonight. We already know it's what happens. It's the replay. We know what happens, but I it's mean... Unfortunate when the re- it's, you know, it's unfortunate when the TV doesn't sync with the live performances, but that's right. That's the price you pay still- for an international sporting event, babe. That's how it is. That's right. That's right. As always, I'm Josh Albrecht, and with me here is Kelly Albrecht, my beautiful wife, Kelly. Hello. What do you got for us tonight? What's the What's the action? What are we doing? Well, the action tonight, as as those of you who have been listening this month know, um, tonight we have been doing a whole series of shows on the Olympics. Um, this, this part of our sidelines episode, we are doing underdog stories. And we're not talking about the underdog, which is a move when on the swings of a playground where you push someone on a swing and then run underneath them really quick. So they get super high. No, we're not, we're not doing that one. This is story. That's not an Olympic sport. (laughs) No, either teams or athletes who have come from behind or who were not favored to win a sport or who were not, um, you know, in some cases really even considered or had never done that sport before and on a whim were like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, whoa, I didn't know that. I'm excited to hear about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to it. We've got some good ones tonight. But as you had uh, mentioned before, Sadly, you know, the U.S. women's gymnastics team won silver. I mean, I guess not sadly. It's still a silver medal. Well, I I, I mean, I can't do that. I've never won a hey, silver medal. Well done. It's high expectations. Ever since Carrie Strug stuck that landing in, in Atlanta, oh, you we'll expect the Carrie women's Strug. gymnastics team. We'll get to Carrie Strug tonight. <laughs> Don't you worry about it. We're covering Carrie. But I just wanted to take a quick second to uh, talk about, I think, the bravery and the advocacy of Simone Biles in this situation for her bowing out of the team competition because she felt like she wasn't in the right space emotionally and mentally to compete and didn't want to injure herself further. Um, You know, so that, that takes a lot of bravery and I just am so impressed in these games by how many women, teams of women or just women individually have stood up and said, no, you know, the, the, there's the Swedish, I think the Swedish handball um, team, the beach handball team or something where it's like, we're not wearing those tiny little bottoms. We're wearing shorts because I don't know if there's something wrong with a woman's body that like prevents her from competing with her butt covered, but I mean, I'm a woman and I don't think that's true. So, uh, like, shout out to them. Shout out to the German gymnastic team wearing uh, full length pants with their leotards and not having their little buns stick out like they always do in gymnastics and being like, no, you don't get to stare at our little buns. We're covering it up. So I just think that this 
Olympics in particular is a unique time for women and more importantly for little girls to get the message that they own their bodies. They get to decide what the boundary is. They get to say no sometimes. And I think that's amazing. And Simone Biles and, you know, even Naomi Osaka previously for doing that, I think is awesome. I 100% agree with you. That is awesome. And, um, yeah, well, I almost feel like there's a whole separate conversation to be held just in general about uh, uniforms and what is worn for the Olympics in each sport and why yeah. and yeah. and where you come from there. Obviously, we talked recently, uh, you know, uh, on Fireside here, we talked about the synchronized swimming history and, like, why certain things are in their uniforms, including gelatin in their hair. So mm-hmm. there's lots of interesting backstory as to why why how how players and uh, uh, athletes prepare themselves with what they wear and what they put on their bodies to perform and then you're like well why what why are they doing that so yeah um yeah. and sometimes it just takes somebody saying why are you doing that <laughs> or it takes somebody to be like this makes, me uncomfortable. Like, this makes me uncomfortable yeah 100 percent what doesn't make me uncomfortable, though, is when an underdog wins. Yeah. Well, we've got, so, I've got a list got, of them here for us. So we're going to go from 10 down from to 1. 10 down to 1. Okay, great. And I wanted to throw out, we got, we got some great people in the crowd live with us tonight. Uh, anybody who would love to jump on stage and help us discuss these underdogs as we go along, uh, don't forget to, uh, you can request access to hop on stage with us and participate in the dialogue. Uh, or feel free to drop something in the chat. And uh, we, we do monitor the chat throughout the, the live version on Fireside. So, uh, you know, just throw it in the chat and we'll, we'll uh, add it to the conversation as well. So we, we love audience, audience participation. So uh, feel free to chime yeah. in. Please do, because we yeah. do love it. So are you ready for the first underdog story? So are you ready for the first underdog story? Yes. The first story... Is the first story is the Argentina the men's Argentina basketball team men's versus basketball the USA versus the USA basketball team basketball team at the two thousand four two thousand four games games. So so um, Josh, um, while I'm telling the story, Josh, could you can you story, mute yourself because I am hearing myself in your <laughs> playback. Thank you. So the 2004 games, uh, this is the USA, you know, USA, the USA had won every gold medal in basketball since it was included in the games in 1939, every single one of them. So in this case, you know, in the nineties, we had gotten the dream team unbeatable, completely unbeatable. Everybody was like washing their hands. Basketball at the Olympics is done. The United States has killed it. They've got it. Well, not so fast, Buster Brown. Here comes the 2004 games. Now, supposedly at this time, the United States had stopped sending uh, superstars, quote unquote, to play in the basketball games. But then I read the list of players who were sent, and they include Tim Duncan. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Allen Iverson. So not complete strangers to basketball at this point. And I would also consider them 
superstars in and of themselves at that time, even though it was 2004. So they go to the games in the first round, they lost to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. And people were like, what? That's that probably they were just not paying attention. And, you know, they were kind of overconfident and they stopped practicing or they, you know, just lost focus. So people kind of wrote it off as a fluke. Well, then they lost to Lithuania. People still are like, mm, I, that's just a, a one. And they got lucky Lithuania. It's not going to happen again. Well, now we get to them playing the Argentine men's basketball team. And so the underdog in this situation would be the Argentine men's basketball team led by one Manu Ginobili. And Manu Ginobili was a professional basketball player at the time. And they defeated the USA men's basketball team to win gold. So the underdog in this situation would be Argentine, which I thought was a good story. You can unmute Josh and talk if you want. <laughs> or not. Um... <laughs> so that's our first underdog story would be the Argentinians winning. Now we're going to go back to basketball for our second underdog story, which this story I actually had never heard before and didn't know because it's full of drama in the basketball. As I said before, America had won every gold medal in basketball in the Olympic Games since 1933. So now we are at the 1972 Munich games. As you know, Munich games were marred by an extremely terrible tragedy in which members of the Israeli Olympic team were murdered by um, Palestinian terrorists. Super terrible. They actually recognized it at the opening ceremonies for the Tokyo game this year for the first time ever in an Olympic opening ceremonies game. They recognized um, the murder of those athletes in 1972. But we are talking about basketball. So the underdogs... In this story are kind of the Soviet basketball team. But you'll see why I say it's kind of, because it's drama. So, again, the United States team started strong in the 1972 games. They won all seven games um, in their group, because in basketball they're put in groups and, you know, they play because there's so many countries. Well, they won all their first seven games. But guess who else won their first seven games, Josh? The United States. No, I'm talking about the United States. Guess who oh. else won besides the United States? <laughs> Russia. <laughs> Russia. They also won their first seven games. So they play in the gold medal um, game. And this game is bananas crazy. It came down to the last few seconds. The USA scored. Um, w one of the guys who's actually, I read, he's the current, I think the coach of the 76ers maybe now. Um I can't remember his name, but he was fouled hard doing a layup. So he got to shoot, you know, how they do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he scored and they were uh, two points ahead. Right. So then the Russians have the ball. They inbound it. They score or something. But then the coaches, the Russian coaches are going nuts and telling the refs like you didn't see when we were calling for a timeout when the American dude was shooting the free throws. We want the clock reset. So they get the clock reset. The Russians inbound the ball again, but guess what? 
The scoreboard keepers forgot to reset the clock there, so they have to reset it again, giving the Russians another chance to inbound the ball. They score in the last like seconds of the game, by and they take the lead by one point and win the gold medal. Well, the Americans were like, nah, nah, that's not fair. They refused to recognize the Russian victory, refused to accept the silver medal, and those medals are still sitting in a vault in Switzerland to this day. <laughs> I don't remember that story. That's amazing. Drama. I, I feel like it. It, I feel now there's going to be a heist movie where you go steal those medals. <gasps> oh my God, there should be. Call up George Clooney, get Brad Pitt on the phone, Ocean's 18, or whatever number they're on, stealing Olympic medals. Oh. That would be amazing. But isn't that a good story? So the underdogs in this situation were the Soviet basketball team. Understood. Okay. So you ready for the next one? Yes. This one is I really related to because it's the story of a mother who just wanted to run in the Olympics and have people get off her ass and let let her show the world what she could do. And her name was Fanny Blankers Cohen. And she was from the Netherlands. And in the 1948 games, she was going to run track and field. Even though at the previous game she had competed and kind of stunk it up and wasn't that great. And she was 30. And she had just given birth six weeks prior to the start of the games. Six Uh, weeks. That's insane. I know. There's a lot of Olympic athletes today who we just looked them up the other night, how many athletes had give, have given birth this year. And it was like a lot of them. There was quite a few who have given birth and have tiny little babies still. And you've given birth to three children. And I, I swear that each time the doctor was like, you know what, take like three months and just like <laughs> don't do anything too crazy. Yeah, but um, we live in America, so that doesn't happen. Nobody so, like, and I kind of agree, like you just gave birth. Maybe it's time just to like kick back and, you know, have a high life. Not Fanny. No. She was running in them Olympics. And everybody was like, well, she's not going to do shit because she's old and she just had a baby. But guess what? Oh, and she got a lot of flack for not being at home caring for her children because, of course, we do. Um, But guess what? Not only did she win one gold medal, she won four players. Whoa. She won a gold in the 100. She won gold in the 80-meter hurdles. She won gold in the 200-meter, and she won gold in the 4-by-100-meter relay. She destroyed them all. I'm going to say it was the power of her afterbirth effect. I think so. I also, by, the way, by the way, also her nickname, the Flying Housewife. The Flying Housewife. I'm glad you looked her up because she's pretty amazing. That's a fantastic nickname. Also, her name, when you say it, kind of has a sound like it's going to be the start of like a children's song about a great female athlete. Fanny Blinkers Cohen. Doesn't it have that? that I guess. Fanny Blinkers Cohen runs around town. Oh, here's oh, like gold medals when she's around. <laughs> Keep going, keep going. <laughs> I need a jump rope or something here. Okay, I you do. <laughs> you do. All right, our next story also takes place in the world of track and field, and the underdogs in this situation are Great Britain. Now, I think a lot of the times we don't think about Great Britain being notably exceptional sprinters. That title usually goes to the U.S. or to Jamaica. And in this situation, at the 2004 Athens Games, 
that those titles did go to the U.S. because the medalists for the men's 100 meter were all American men. So it was Justin Gatlin, super famous, Maurice Green and Sean Crawford won gold, silver, and bronze. So when you're thinking about these are, you know, three parts of the four by 100 relay, they're going to dominate, right? Oh, yeah. Wrong. <laughs> they did not. I mean, they That's, were really close. Thanks for setting me up there. Sorry. They actually had a bad handoff between um, Justin Gatlin and another runner, and that allowed Great Britain the opportunity to expand their lead and they held on and won by the narrowest margin possible it was a photo finish they won by one one hundredth of a second and great britain took gold in the four by 100 relay oh man isn't that crazy so it's a photo finish just like in you know the movies yeah that's impressive yeah he should stuck his tongue out. Like in cars when like in car, Lightning McQueen yeah. does it? Yeah. Yeah, I knew what you were going there for, Josh. <laughs> I got you. Um, our next story, we are moving to the swimming pool. And here, the underdogs is actually the United States, which doesn't happen a lot, especially in team sports. But the USA women... Um, and the against the East German women during the four by 100 freestyle relay. Um, and this was at the 1976 Montreal games. Now, the reason the U.S. was an underdog in swimming at this time was because East Germany had huge success in the pool because they had these monster athletes that they had secretly injected with steroids in a state-run program to secretly inject athletes with steroids. Oh, yes, I remember this. Yes, none of the athletes apparently knew this was happening. They were given steroids and other performance-enhancing drugs um, by, like, the East German, kind of like uh, like their CSA, C, uh, CIA, it's called the Stasis, and they were, like, beefed up and drugged up and stuff, so they were these monster athletes. So in the pool the East German women had dominated the 1976 games, like just won everything. And the U.S.'s best swimmers couldn't, couldn't even, you know, I mean, they were like second, but like a distant second. You know what I mean? Right. So the U.S. is losing race after race. So when it comes to the relay, the 4 by 100 freestyle relay, which is super fast, if anybody here has ever done competitive swimming or watch it on the Olympics, the four by 100 relay is fast because professional swimmers like that at that level can swim a hundred. Like it's nothing. Um, I used to do competitive swimming. I wasn't super good at it, but you know, you you get to a point where swimming a hundred isn't that big of a deal. So for them, super not big of a deal. Um, But somehow the USA women pushed through, they turned on the afterburners and not only did they beat East Germany, but they set a world record doing it. So underdogs coming through, bringing home the gold. Yeah, and it was like vindication, right? Like they'd spent the entire um, Olympics losing. The entire Olympics losing, yes. And, and they- you know, now looking back on it, like not only did they win in this race, but they won against athletes who were cheating. Yes, they didn't know they were cheating, but they were. Right. I'm going to, uh, 
there's a great story here. I'm going to drop it in the chat if anybody wants to get a little bit more info on this uh, event in the Olympics because it's pretty amazing that they were able to do that and sort of, you know, I don't know, like you think like it's like an, an athlete, right? You get, you get beat and you get beat and you beat and to then come back and not give up and say, no, we're still giving it our all. And then give it all to your best and set a record is just astounding, right? It's like amazing. Yeah, a world record into, into, you know, obviously I'm sure those women on the USA swim team had to be like, something is up with these East German girls, right? Like, this isn't normal. And they had <laughs> to think something was going on. It's to just... not let that get defeat them and bring them down and be like, why give up? It's just like in Rocky Four when Rocky doesn't do all the injections, he doesn't do the fancy training, he doesn't do any of that stuff. And what's he do? He ends communism. He ends communism. It's the yeah. same story, really. It, it really is. I was actually thinking it was more the story of when I was uh, in eighth grade in junior tackle football, and we went to the neighboring city to play the other eighth grade junior tackle football team, and we all looked over and were like, why does the other team all have mustaches? And we were all <laughs> like, what's going on? There's no way these guys are in eighth grade. <laughs> but, but in true underdog fashion we won what was the town you won't say it on the show uh no it was silvis 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 yeah silvis illinois uh and i still to this day think we played a bunch of 24 year olds and uh and beat them just bringing in a bunch of ringers to play the (laughs) morrison junior tackle team so it's like why do all those why do all those swimmers have beards so (laughs) why is that bigger than my husband i don't get it And then you just say, she's bench pressing pressing another swimmer. I don't understand this. It's like some sort of crazy, like Simpsons episode or something. I don't know. Yeah. But all right. uh, Our next underdog story. By the way, so far, that's my my favorite one so far. Oh, the, the number one one is one. Not only is it a tearjerker, it is inspiring. It is all the feels. It's everything you want in an underdog story, but we'll get there because next up, we have one that I think every little girl who grew up in the 90s knows and can relate to. And that is the Magnificent Seven. Oh, yes. We're going to the 1996 Atlanta Games and we're in gymnastics. And we are Carrie Strug. And we have hurt <laughs> our damn ankle on the first vault. But you know what we're not going to do is we're not going to give up and we're not going to let the Russians win. Because at this time, Russia and Romania dominated gymnastics. Russia had won team gold in every Olympic Games they were in because they boycotted in uh, 80, I think. 82? When did they boycott? Uh, 84, they boycotted. They had won every gold medal in every Games since 1952 in the team event, except the 84 Games which Romania won gold in. Ugh. So they, they, they hire Bella. They hire Bella from Romania, <laughs> which he actually Team turned code. out to be kind of abusive. So, um, And it all came down to the vault. And Dominique Mucciano on her vault stumbled. So now it's all down to Carrie Strug. As I said... She injures her ankle in the first vault. We all have seen it. You know it in your heads. She lands. She immediately fall, sticks the damn landing like she's paid millions of dollars to do it and immediately falls to her knees. 
and scoots her little self off the mat because she's hurt. But she says, no, I'm going to do this. I can do this last vault. And through immense pain, sprints down that runway thing, vaults, lands, done. That's actually when she falls to her knees, but she gets it. And securing gold for the United States for the first time. And ironically, she didn't need to do the second vault. She could have pulled out and they still would have won, but they didn't know that at the time. Like, cause this, you know, the scores hadn't come in for the rush where the Russians were on that, um, turn. So they, she didn't need to do the second vault, but won it. Classic memories. Carrie Strug. Love everything about it. And national hero. And then featured on Saturday Night Live afterwards. Yes. Pop, became a pop culture icon. <laughs> for Chris like, Kattan. He was okay. <laughs> That's right. One of the most classic <laughs> guest appearances for my, my uh, taste on Saturday Night Live. Weekend update. Uh, she came on because she was, I mean, she was, I mean, she was, she was such a character, right? She, she does this amazing thing on the biggest stage, primetime television, right? Like we were talking yeah. at the beginning of this episode, how right now it's sometimes kind of hard to follow it. Cause if you don't catch it during the day, you kind of already hear what's happened before you can watch it at night. Um, but this was primetime live, like nine o'clock at night, prime TV hour. Um, and you know, literally the whole country watching and she sticks it and becomes, you know, um, a national sensation, Wheaties boxes, and the whole the whole shebang. The whole so. shebang, and open the gates to American dominance in gymnastics that still continues today. Yeah, I mean, I I still have vivid memories of it. Um, you know, anybody else in the audience, you know, if you remember that moment and would like to to hop on stage, feel free to to request access to to join us on stage. We'd love to to hear your thoughts as well. But um, it we- really made me want to be a gymnast, but. You know, like that dream was short lived for me in 1996 because I was 15 at that time and I was already probably 5'10. So, you know, like (laughs) it's probably not going to happen for me, but a girl can dream. Right. You can. Rhythm gymnastics. I always thought it would be a really good rhythm gymnastics with the ribbons and stuff, but no, not for me. Alas, not for me. All right. Are you ready for the next one? I would say, wait, no. I will say my that's my all-time favorite gymnastics moment. I, I, I mean, that. I yes, I think it's true, but I feel like I don't know. I mean, yes, for underdogs for sure, but Simone Biles just like amazes in gymnastics where I feel like they should rename it Simone Nastics or something because that was, she's that was a stretch. So... That's a stretch. It's not a stretch. I can see it. I can see it renamed now. Okay. Are you ready for the next one or not? Yes. Okay. This one is probably one you have never heard of, um, but it's a really good story. Does it involve a marathon runner who stops and has wine and cheese halfway through and still wins? <laughs> no. Because that happened. It did happen. <laughs> it did. No. This is um, Greco-Roman wrestling at the 2000 Sydney Games. And we are at the gold medal match between Rulon Gardner of the United States and Alexander Carlin of, of course, Russia. So Alexander Carlin at this time had won every single Greco-Roman wrestling competition he had been in since 1988 internationally 
the Olympics and, and just other like international competitions since 1988. He's won every single one of them. Rulon Gardner was a farm boy from Wyoming who had oh. never won an international competition or even an NCAA competition. Not one. But Rulon was super, super strong. And he claims that he got so strong from doing chores on his family's dairy farm, which I actually put stock in because if you ask my dad, who is a farmer, he will tell you the best way to get strong is if you have cows and a cow gives birth to a calf, you go out every day, the first day that baby calf is born and you pick up the calf and hold it for like five minutes. You do it every day. (laughs) That's that's someday... you'll be able to pick up a full-grown cow. This okay. is what my dad claims. <laughs> or you do it perhaps, every day. You gotta do it every day. A, perhaps a Russian bear? Well, that was Alexander Carlin's nickname was the Russian bear. So they're wrestling. Ruan Gardner, super strong. And guess what? I mean, it's not like a joke. He is really, really strong. And this exhausts um, Carlin, the Russian bear, as he's called, he got fatigued because, you know, he's older. Rulon Gardner's a young buck, but he just got tired because he just couldn't, you know, get this guy down like he normally did. So he made a mistake because he was so tired and that allowed a point to Gardner, which didn't, hadn't happened in like six years. Like he hadn't given up a point to anybody in six years and Rulon Gardner got a point off of him. So now they go to the extra time because you have to have three points to win in Greco-Roman wrestling, which I didn't know, but you do. So they're in extra time. And um, Carolyn is like, I can't beat this kid. I cannot do it. So he steps back, puts his hands on his hips and concedes the victory to Rulon Gartner. And it took Rulon like a couple seconds because he was waiting for him to attack again or whatever you call it in Greco-Roman wrestling. And he threw in the towel. And he was like, wait, what's going on? What's going on? And then he's like, oh my God, I just won. So... That's a pretty good underdog story. Yeah, great, great underdog story. And I just put, I put a post in with uh, here on the on the Fireside uh, app for those listening live. If you want to check out a little more in depth of the match, uh, and also get a get a sense of what these guys look like, so you can even see. I mean, even in the photo, you're like, how did he win? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, even though he's a farm boy from Wyoming, he's a big guy. But uh, when you see um, the Russian bear, you're like. How did he beat this guy? This guy is huge. So yeah, he's uh, huge. Amazing upset to to be able to do that without training. Yeah, but I'm telling you what, lift a cow every day, man. That's my dad. My dad says that's the key to being strong. Though my dad's not super strong, and he doesn't lift a cow every day, so I don't know. Maybe we should. Hey, do we have? Is this like a new like workout book? Oh, like a cross training, but cow training. Yeah, like lift a cow, or and it's like a whole thing. Yeah, you gotta hold it for like five minutes. Yeah, I think it could be something. Throw a bale of hay, you know, like farm CrossFit. Yeah, we could do like a Peloton subscription thing where they have you have to subscribe to me doing a video of trying to lift a cow every day. (laughs) I would like to see you trying to lift a cow every day. Be like, come on, guys, you just grab that cow. The cow runs away from you. I know you can do it. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be hilarious. (laughs) All right. Are you ready for the next one? Yes. 
Okay, this one you've actually have heard before because it involves a marathon runner. <laughs> Which, if you haven't listened to our uh, show that we did on the history of the Olympic marathon, it is crazier than you could ever imagine the Olympic marathon. Um, go back and listen to it. It's under my profile. Or listen to it. Um, look us up wherever you like to pod. Go to even and, and listen to it there if you want. Uh, so this story is about Emil Zatopek. Do you remember Emil, Josh, from this our marathon episode and what he did? You know, uh, I loved every one of the stories. Of course I remember. Do you remember exactly what he did? No, not exactly. Okay. Well, he was from Czechoslovakia, and this is at the 1952 Helsinki Games. So Emil Zatopek normally had run long distances, but not the marathon. He did the 5,000 and the 10,000 meter. At the last minute, and I do mean the last minute, like 10 minutes before the marathon starts, Emil decides, yeah, I could run the marathon. And, and like, enrolls in it or whatever and runs the marathon. It's the first time he had ever run a marathon in his life. And he kept, like, going by people and being like, am I doing an okay pace? And so people would be like, yeah, you're fine, whatever. And one guy was like, well, I guess you could go faster, like kind of being a dick about it. And Emil <laughs> was like, oh, okay, I must go faster. So he did, and he kept the super fast pace throughout the marathon, and he won. Never run it before in his life. He won three gold medals in that games. No one has ever won three medals in the 5,000, 10,000, and the marathon since. Because why, why would you? Why not? Um, so, uh, you know, I've, since we've been talking marathons, I've been kind of intrigued. And he's also like, he's got some really fantastic, like, uh, motivational quotes. Does he? He does. So uh, I want to share a couple with you because these are just like amazing quotes. So this, you know, uh, amazing marathon runner, right? So um, here's a couple of his uh, fantastic quotes. If you want to run, run a mile. If you want to experience a different life, run a marathon. Oh. All right. Heavy. Here's another one. That's a good one. It's at the borders of pain and suffering that the men are separated from the boys. Oh. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Or here's another one. An athlete cannot run with money in his pockets. He must run with the hope in his heart and dreams in his head. Oh, Emil, just an inspirational poster left and right out of him. Oh, right? Yeah. That's I love good some stuff. of those. Yeah, that's intense. That's right up there with, like, go get them, boys. <laughs> yeah. Win one for the Gipper. Yeah. So that was a pretty good because he was a total underdog because he had never done the marathon before. And if people were like, okay, bro, like, what, you know, whatever. Well, you know, there's some sense, you know, listening to those quotes and being able to do that, like, there is a sense of like same thing with with all these underdog stories. There is that um, that unquantifiable trait of like grit and resilience, right? Yes, and that's I mean you get that anywhere in in, in sports, in the business world, in your general life, uh, dealing with toddlers, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, grit and resilience separates you in in the moments of like complete competition and complete um uh i guess like effort right maximum effort yes the more you push through 
And if right. you, you want it, you push your body to limits that you right. think. It but you also it have to want it more than the next person. Right. Which brings us, you're doing a nice segue to our final two underdogs here. Thank you. So our number two underdog here is the Japanese women's softball team. And we are at the 2008 Beijing games. Now, what people don't know, but while this game is being played in Beijing games, is that just a year before the IOC, so that's the International Olympic Committee, voted to eliminate both baseball and softball from the Olympic Games after the 2008 Games, mainly because of the predictability of who would win. And that was usually, for softball, what had been the United States, because the United States women were dominant in softball Um, and they thought it was getting boring and predictable for spectators to watch. So they voted to eliminate it. So during the tournament, because they have a tournament for baseball and softball in the Olympics, uh, the U S beat Japan. They faced Japan because it's weird how the tournament is set up for, for softball and baseball, but they played them twice and the U S beat them twice. So they come to the third game, which is the gold medal game, and they face Japan again. So you're like, well, I've beaten this team twice. We can beat them a third time, right? Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Japan's star pitcher, uh, Yukiko Iuni, held the U.S. to one run for the whole game. And Japan scored three runs, giving Japan the win and the gold medal, and completely turning the IOC's opinion that softball in the Olympics was predictable on its head. Thankfully, this year in the 2021 Olympics, softball and baseball are back. It's very exciting. We've watched a few softball games on TV, and my our youngest son is completely baffled at how they can pitch the ball like that because he's a pitcher in Little League, and he's just like, I have no idea, Mom, how they're doing that. <laughs> it astounds him. So... Uh, that would be a case for Japan, I would think, having lost to a team twice already and playing them for a third time for the gold medal, you've got to go into that being like either I know I would be like, well, we're not going to beat them again. <laughs> or like you had said, your determination, your grit, your resilience to win is just, uh, I mean, just carries you through any kind of doubt, any kind of negative thought that you would have about you and your, your performance or your team's performance in the game. Yeah. And like uh, Ted Lasso says, be a goldfish. Be a goldfish. Put, the, put that last performance behind you, put the last loss, right? Like that ability to compartmentalize the next game, the next um, piece of competition, and not let previous competition get you down. Yeah. I agree 100%. Um, so I thought that was a good story and I, I didn't realize, I think that, um, that's why the IOC kind of voted to eliminate softball from the Olympics was that it was like, well, cause the United States always wins, but guess what? They didn't. Yeah. Hopefully this year though. All right. So um, we're, are we down to the number one? The number one underdog story. It's a good one. It is a story I had never heard before. Knew nothing about this athlete, which that's my own ignorance for not, you know, being more informed. Um, but we are at the 1964 Tokyo Games, and the event is the 10,000 meters. The athlete is one Billy Mills, 
of the United States. So here's a little background on Billy Mills. Um, Billy grew up as part of the Ogallala Sioux Nation in South Dakota. He grew up on a reservation. He was orphaned at 12 and struggled a bit in school, but soon found that he was a really good athlete. He was a really good runner and he was a really good boxer. Um, He got a scholarship to Kansas. I'm guessing Kansas State. They just said Kansas in my research. I'm like, so. Well, University of Kansas, probably. Oh, okay. Is Is there a Kansas State? I don't know. There's a University of and a Kansas State, yes. Well, I don't know which one it is. That's my point. I didn't. So he got a scholarship to one of those. He did pretty well in track there. He wasn't, um, you know, like a superstar or anything by means of the NCAA. After college, he joined the Marines and he ended up qualifying for the Olympics while he was serving um, in the Marine Corps. Uh, and then once you get to the Olympic games for the marathon, you have to run heats and stuff and qualify to run, uh, the marathon at the Olympics. And during his qualifying, he wasn't spectacular, not the marathon. I'm sorry, the 10,000 meters. Um, he wasn't spectacular. He was like in the middle of the group, nothing turning heads. Nobody was like, boy, this kid's something, you know? Uh, so during the race, the actual 10,000 meters, he did well and he moved up in the pack and kind of overtook people one by one. And as the final laps came, uh, Billy Mills was right there with the current world record holder who is from Australia and a Tunisian runner. So he's kind of between the Tun- the Australian runner who's in first and this Tunisian runner who's in third. And the Tunisian runner decides he's going to pick up the pace and overtakes Billy pushes him to third and it looks like it's going to be a battle between the Australian runner and the Tunisian runner, right? Because Billy is now in third, but the last hundred meters. So this would be like a sprint, you know, that they do the fastest man in the world sprint mills decides I'm going to win. I can win. And he sprints the last hundred meters overtakes them both to win the gold. Later, he said that while he was doing that, his vision kept going in and out like he was, you know, I mean, he had just run 10,000 meters. So, of course, his body is completely done. His vision kept going in and out, but he kept telling himself he could win over and over again. He kept saying, I can win. I can win. I can win. And he later described his uh, achievement, his ability to do this as, quote, that one fleeting moment you know that you're the very best in the world. And that's how you won the gold medal. Yes. So amazing story this man has. And I, I totally want to write a movie script and share it. <laughs> like, I know. Isn't that an amazing story? Um, so I, cause I, I, I wanted to get a, I wanted to find a photo of him cause I wanted to, you know, obviously see, uh, see what he looked like and, and, understand him more and um i found an article um on wbur.org um and it's it was a first-hand account uh that he told to the author of the article uh dan simmons about this and um his recounting of how he got inspired you know and and um 
that he uh, had almost committed suicide mm. as well before the Olympics. Uh, absolutely amazing for him to come back because what happened was he he recounted to this uh, journalist in the story that during um, college he he ran multiple All American uh, races for in cross country. And he, oh, he was all American finisher in cross country. And he told this uh, additional story about how at one of those national meets, uh, he got ready for a post-race photo with the other, other fellow all Americans um, that had competed. And he was very proud of this moment. And he was very, he was like, I, all of my family and my parents would be so proud of this. And he heard right, a photo- he was an orphan. Yeah. And he heard a photographer say, um, yeah, you, the darker skinned one, I want you out of the photo. And he said, he said, and that just went to the depths of my soul and it just, it broke me, oh. is what he said. Um, and so Billy Mills, um, you know, was devastated by this. And he uh, goes um, uh, back to his hotel room in Louisville, near Louisville, where the race was later that day. And he recounts, I'm on a chair. I opened the window. It took years for me to share this, but I thought it was weakness. I thought it was cowardly. Uh, I'm on a chair. You, you don't want to kill yourself. I just wanted to go where it was quiet. I looked out of the window and three and a half or so floors down to the ground and then a little slope. And my thoughts were, it'll all be over. But I didn't jump. I didn't jump because I didn't hear through my ears, underneath my skin, the energy, an unspoken word. I heard this and it sounded like don't. And then the fourth time I hear it, so gentle, so loving, but so commanding, like an echo, don't. And it sounded just like my dad's voice. Stop it. I'm crying, he recounts. I step off the chair. I'm thinking about what he told me when three years after my mom died and then before he died, he would tell me that it takes a dream to heal broken souls. I got off the chair crying and I wrote down a dream to heal a broken soul. Gold medal, Olympic 10,000 meter run. A week later, he recounts, he saw a beautiful young girl on campus. I turned and followed her, he said. I don't know if you'd call that stalking or not, and we eventually meet. I fell in love right away, and eventually she fell in love. And as I shared my stories and my struggles and my fears and my dreams with her, she became this incredible support system. I supported her dreams. She supported my dreams. And my life slowly started to change. Billy and Patricia Mills got married as college seniors. During the race, Billy recounted in this article, I came so close to quitting. I looked into the infield. If there was nobody there that recognized me, I was going to quit. Everybody was local Japanese officials. Anywhere was a great place to quit. I looked into the stadium. And who did I focus on? My wife. She's crying. And there's no way I could quit. We made a commitment together. 
He's number one. He's, I mean, that. <laughs> that is like, an amazing That story recounting. brought tears to my eyes. An absolute amazing recounting. I, I'm so happy, so thankful we could talk about that. And I'm going to drop that full story in the in the uh, chat box here because um, Billy William Billy Mills deserves to be celebrated and lifted up, and everybody should know. It's just a great story, and his recounting on that story I just posted. If you have a moment, um, you know, definitely check it out for those who might be listening on replay or can't see the chat box. Um, like I said, it's uh, WBUR.org, only a game, um, and uh, an amazing story to check out. Yeah, that's um, that's an amazing story. I didn't even know that part of his life, you know, because I was just researching the underdog sort of part where nobody thought he was going to win. And um, I mean, really, to kind of wrap it all up, I think his quote of that one fleeting moment where you know you're the very best in the world really is what the Olympics kind of boils down to for athletes. Like, I mean, and in life too, like you just need that one moment where you can feel like you are the best at something you're doing and you can have belief in yourself like you've never had before to achieve something that you thought, I'm never going to be able to do this. And then you can because for one fleeting moment, you believe you can. And I love that that is what um, Billy Mills did and told himself he could do it and he did it. So what a great story. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Victoria, you've, you jumped on stage with us here. Uh, did you have some uh, thoughts to share? Hey, thank you so much. My goodness. This has been so many inspirational stories. I really appreciate it. And I don't know if you shared this one. I only recently heard this story. But did you hear the story about Buster Douglas and how what inspired him to keep going to beat Mike Tyson? I don't think so, no. This is an amazing story, and I hope I do it justice. So how the story was shared with me is that um, Buster Douglas was fighting Mike Tyson, and it was pretty much when Mike Tyson was pretty much at his peak. And no one had beat him by that time. So there was a moment where Buster Douglas, um, you know, knocked him, knocked him down. And he, he was able to get back up. And he was able to not only get back up, and which was a game changer for Mike Tyson. Because at the, here, oh, now I'm remembering it. Mike Tyson, when he used to fight, because he was such a powerful fighter that he only went so many rounds because by that time he would knock somebody out. Right, right. So this time he knocked out, he he hit Buster Douglas, he went down. And then what shocked everybody was Buster Douglas got back up. Now this was not common for Mike Tyson because he was already used to going so many rounds. And so he kept going and kept going and kept going. And at the end where, I mean, he was just so spent, as you were just describing the the other racer, he was just so spent. So what kept him going was that right before the match, he had promised his, his mom that he was going to win. And then his mother had died. 
And all he could remember was through that match was the promise he made to his mother. And that's how he kept going to win. Mm. And I just thought that was, it's always like that powerful why. Yeah. You know, that takes you outside of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that was. How, yeah, how valuable. Yeah, how valuable those other people in your life are to your performance, right? So you're never truly. It's very rare then, when you think about it, especially in big moments, that an athlete is truly alone. And even in individual sports and team sports, there's no. You're, there's always an influence, right? Something you're drawing on for that perseverance. Yeah. Well, dreams get heavy to carry and you need someone to help you carry them sometimes when you can't. And that's usually that person, you know, his mother or Billy Mills wife or whoever, a a whole team to help you carry that dream because you can't, I mean, they're, they're human. They're not superhuman. They still have doubts and negative feelings. So thank you for sharing that, Victoria. That was a great, um, great story great way to wrap it up here i I really enjoyed it my pleasure thank of course well that was our underdogs man i think we went on on top with this one yeah totally that was a a great great recounting uh some really great athlete stories and um, you know, who knows what's to come here in the Olympics, uh, yet to go. So I know you asked me today, is there any from the Olympics now? I was like, there, we've only had them for a couple of days. We need to (laughs) have a a couple more events here and then maybe we will. Yeah. So uh, excited to do that. Uh, so yeah, we're finishing up now. We're coming up on on an hour on our go team sidelines here. Uh, big thank you to all those who joined us, uh, live, uh, here in the fireside studio. And for those who participated through uh, on stage here and uh, Victoria for coming up on stage and those who participated in the chat box, uh, always appreciate uh, the interactiveness of being live here on Fireside. Uh, as Kelly mentioned, you can check out some of the other Olympic podcasts we've done so far here on Fireside on Kelly's profile. So go ahead and dive into that if you're on Fireside or you can check them out on uh, your favorite streaming uh, network, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher. Th- there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, so check out Go Team on those platforms as well. Like and subscribe. Uh, like and subscribe, please. Like, yeah, like and subscribe. And uh, and we'll be posting our next episode uh, in the RSVPs here live on Fireside. So check out those. It's the already few- there. It's oh, on Sunday. I already still posted organized. it. Um, <laughs> normally we do our long form uh, more history because Go Team is a sports history podcast. And normally we do that show on Thursdays live on Fireside. But we've got some stuff this week. Uh, So we're doing it on Sunday and this week. So I've done the Olympic marathon, old, old sport. I did synchronize swimming, kind of not old sport, but right in the middle. And I've decided I'm going to do surfing. Brand new Olympic sport. So I'm real excited to dig into the history of surfing and how they are doing it in the Olympics. That's fantastic. Cause I had so many questions the other day. I was like, how do they make sure that you have the right waves? What if it's raining? <laughs> like I was like, there's yeah. so many variables with surfing. What if there's a giant squid? Uh, like well, how do you score I mean, that? Okay. So I don't know that the giant squid would get a score, but maybe. In, I, I mean, imagine though, giant no, squid. It would be amazing, but I mean, dangerous. But ooh. <laughs>
So, uh, yeah, so hopefully everyone uh, go ahead, uh, RSVP to that, uh, check out our next live show on Sunday. Again, thanks, everybody, for joining tonight. Yes, thank you. That wraps it up for this evening, and we always finish with one last thing to say. Kelly, what do we got to say? Well, normally we say go team, but in this case, I'm going to say go Billy Mills. (laughs) Love it. Go Billy Mills and go team.